it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to our malt mates at Cry Malt, that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Today I speak with Ryan nielsen Lynn, head brewer at Port Macquarie's Wicked Elf Beer. Some of you will remember Wicked Elf, once known as Little Brewing, as one of those businesses that traces its origins back to the days when beer from small breweries was boutique, or boutique as some would have it. Despite having a national presence through the early 2010s and a reputation for great beer, the business went into receivership in 2016, being purchased by its current owner in 2017. In May this year, Ryan joined the business and has started to raise the business's profile after a relatively quiet period. With Wicked Elf being one of those I-wonder-what-happened-to brands, and Ryan having worked at Margaret River's Bootleg Brewery, which is another brewery that falls into that category, I was really interested in learning more about Ryan, his career, and also the future of Wicked Elf. It was a great chat, and I'm really looking forward to trying the beers again to see how well Ryan has maintained the bold, strong, and dependable beers coming out of the brewery. They are his words, by the way, not mine. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Ryan Nielsen Lynn, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Cheers, Matt. Uh, good to be here. I've enjoyed our correspondence over a, a period of time, but uh, for, for those who don't know you, I've given a bit of an overview um, from in, in the intro, but tell us a, bit, a little bit about your background in brewing. Um, I guess I was a really poor home brewer through the early 2000s, so making just some Cooper's kits and getting myself through a little bit of university and in the early days of uh, of hard work and having kids at 19 but um that was a pretty bad job and I started in 2006 at Quarrimut Brewing Company when they first opened um spent the first 12 months with Jeremy and Claire and that sort of really grew my passion for the industry and for bespoke products and um handmade and and highly quality products that you don't get as much from the uh from the bottle shop back then anyway yeah we might talk a little bit about that but just before we we jump forward what was it you know the standard question i ask anyone who got into home brewing as they start to, to a brewing career was it were you after the 25 cent stubby or were you after the creative outlet that home brewing can can uh, satisfy uh, to be to be completely fair at 18 years of age i was uh <laughs> i was after the 25 cent stubby <laughs> Um, and, and as much alcohol as I could get into a bottle. What was the progression then? Uh, yeah, what was the, the thing that made you think, well, this is great, I'm getting cheap grog, to, gee, you can actually make a living out of this? Yeah, look, I guess um, a little bit different to most. I guess the I was pretty early on in the craft game. The standard passion for different beers wasn't quite what it is today with your general public. Um, I liked drinking my Coopers. I liked having a taste of Little Creatures, but... That was probably a little bit too far for me at the time anyway. But uh, it was, um, I think it was just an opportunity that presented itself. I'd worked pretty hard over seven or eight years in heavy lifting and I'd seen an opportunity with a brewery opening in the region and I thought, I love beer, I can give that a crack. Kaurum up, uh, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, it's a little bit like people saying too long in Brisbane, but so Kaurum up, is, is that a fair crack? Uh, quorum up. If you quorum if you up, imagine okay. it has a cue at the start, that makes it easier. There we go. Quorum <laughs> up. Okay. So quorum up brewing. And, and a, I mean, I remember. Gee, I must have visited that for the first time when you were brewing there then, because I was there not long. I never up. actually brewed there, so that was my into the industry, I guess, oh, and okay. started my passion. But Jeremy, Jeremy did all the brewing. I was just, uh, I was their first employee. Helped set the business up with them in a physical way, not a <laughs> any other capacity. And then, um, and then, yeah, I was helping them run the bar and do all their grounds and that sort of stuff. But it was my into the passion of the industry, I guess. Uh, my mistake. Um, because, but again, it was a beautiful brewery and, you know, they, they got some uh, a tourism grant from memory that let them set up that beautiful sort of stone building at, at a time when there weren't very many breweries. Um, I think Colonial was there. 
bootleg that you went on to work at and Quarum Up was uh, one, one of the few. Yeah, so they and um, Bushack was all, always up there Bushack. on the yelling up coast as well. <laughs> with, with and, um, but yeah, so Bushack was there with their. Um, they made a beer out of the black jelly babies, um, Chicos, uh, <laughs> yeah. in those days. Which, God, you look at that now, like that was such a novelty at the time, and that's pretty much craft beer. Yeah, yeah, they were they were a little bit ahead of their time when you look <laughs> back at what's happening now. There's um, they were big in the RTD game. That was probably fifty percent of their business, if not more, was their yeah. RTDs. And now you see a lot of the seltzers are essentially RTDs that are hitting the shelves now. And that, that was essentially what they've been doing since they opened. Yeah, yeah. You weren't actually brewing there, but you had been home brewing. So what was it about being in and around a brewery that made you think that this was something that you wanted to do, you know, day in, day out? I mean, I just loved the industry. The ind- like, I think my first day on the job, I got to meet Brendan Varus. He came down and helped Jeremy with his first few brews. And his, um, you've obviously met him a few times. His passion is pretty well second to none in the beer industry. And Jeremy is much in the same mould as Brendan and that sort of passion just rubs off on you pretty hard. I was also good friends with Michael Brooks that was the head brewer at Bootleg for a long time, um, played a lot of cricket with him and he was equally as passionate about the craft beer industry and I guess just hanging out with all those sort of guys for quite a period of time, it just uh, it spurs you on, makes you want to join in and have the fun that they're having. So how long were you at Quarum up then? I was there for 12 months, so I started maybe a month before they opened and I, I think I just made their first birthday. So did you start brewing during your time there or were you assisting? Oh, no, so I started house? brewing. But that was essentially the reason I moved on from Quarimut was It was a bit of a one-man band, which is good. That's, it was Jeremy's thing and it was how he set it up. He wanted a, a bespoke little brewery to, to have his fun and do the beers that he loved and enjoyed doing. And um there wasn't much room for growth for me in the brewing industry there. So that was, um, yeah, I, I managed to get an opportunity up at Bootleg and they they knocked on my door essentially and said, we've got a position opening up if you want to come on. And again, uh, I mean, Bootleg, uh, I remember when I was doing some travel riding back in the mid-2000s, I went there and beautiful, really struck me as being this beautiful tourist venue and uh, had the big sign at the front door, an oasis of beer in a desert of wine, I, th- I, I think I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So that was their catchphrase. It was actually something a customer gave them one day. I guess they were the only brewery with, back in those days, maybe about 60 or 70 cellar doors. It's now up to 14 breweries and 120 cellar doors in the Margaret River region. But um, it's still a bit of an oasis of beer. It's, and it, it was an amazing little tourist venue for a long time. And it's um, still still kicking on these days just um a small family venue yeah and and so who were you, who did you learn under there in terms of developing your skills and your knowledge yeah so i guess i was still pretty green in the brewing game i hadn't really done much all grain when i started there so michael brooks took me under his wing and taught me everything he knew um passed me on to pete aldred to give me a good science background for a little bit up at Ballarat, um, and then, yeah, was back there and kicked on there for about 15 years. So I was there for a little <laughs> while. Talk us through the beers that you were making in those days. Yeah, so our, our biggest sort of most well-known beer that hit the East Coast pretty hard as well was the Raging Bull. It was a 7% um, um, robust quarter. Yep. Yeah, so that was back in the day when English beers were considered um, a bit out there, <laughs> I guess, um, in the Australian public. And... I think bootleg was a little different than others because they were using a bit of American hops, a little bit of Czech stuff, and you know it was sort of at the at the front of that game in Western Australia. It's not not in the world, obviously, but in WA they were right at the front of that um, experimental beer sort of times. We we had an American pale and a and a wheat beer and a hefeweizen and a pilsner, and there wasn't anything that sort of said mainstream brewery i guess amongst their range so it was it was a good learning learning curve for me yeah but it was a completely different time now (laughs) it's one of those you tell kids (laughs) that today and uh you know even as a robust porter the um the beer was so different 
to like it, it's not what a classic porter it was rich and full um and not roasty and chocolate it was more chocolatey than roast it was you know um seven percent it, it was a really really interesting beer yeah i guess as i um as i grew up in the beer world and learnt the rules that brewing is meant to be to be done to it was breaking a fair few of those rules so it was a very unique product um it was developed by uh Rolf Vickers, I don't know if you've heard that name before. He's gone on to big things up at Guinness these days. He's one of the, the chief brewers at Guinness. Um, and he worked for Matilda Bay for a long time before he started at Bootleg. And um, he bought some of the different bits and pieces from Dog Bolter and improved the recipe. Well, he, he says he improved the recipe. And that was sort of the birth of Raging Bull, I guess, was a, an improvement on these Dog Bolter days. <laughs> What did you learn, given that it was your first brewing job? What were the the, the, the key learnings back in those days? And that's uh, everything, I guess, in the beer industry. It's a bit hard to pin it down to one thing, but just sort of management of um, of your grain and your hops and the flavour profiles and different bits that can work. And we were pretty lucky there, where we were given pretty well free reign. We could play with any ingredient we wanted. We get hold of you know something new came out on the market. We were more than happy to get hold of it and produce a small batch of beer and and see how it went. Um, so I, I, I started from the ground up there, so just starting to learn all about the initial process of making beer. It was pretty exciting times for me. As somebody that's homebrewed um, before that you, you got started, you know, I see a lot of people open their own brewery from that beginning and never having worked for somebody else. Do you think that you could have gone on to make great beer or, you know, good beer um, from a homebrew background to, to your own brewery? Or was it important sort of seeing how a business runs from the inside and listening to a brewer who, you know, does some of that planning for you um, now that you're in a head brewer's role yourself? Look, I mean, I've been, I think I was probably about seven years in the industry before I took on the role of head brewer. I don't know if I was really ready for it before that time. There's so much goes into it, especially in a small brewery. I think a head brewer role is almost more challenging than it is in a big brewer's because you're essentially a business manager, a HR manager, a, a marketing person and all that sort of stuff. So I think um, starting from a small brewery, having the experience of working inside a brewery is um, definitely something that you, I'd say is a prerequisite. Um, <laughs> I think these days is different, I guess. I guess... Um, like I've mentored a fair few home brewers who are going on to start their own breweries without having any specific experience, but because the industry is so large, they probably had a month or two of sitting in a brewery with brewers, learning about the different things that happen and do. And the knowledge, I guess the internet knowledge is a completely different thing these days than what it was 15 years ago as well. God, I think there was Beer Advocate uh, and then you know, a couple of homebrew forums. Yeah, there wasn't much uh, when I first started to, to learn anything about brewing. You had to jump on a plane and and get to Ballarat and, and try and get you done in the corner of a pub and learn what you can from here. And, well, you, you've now got Hugh uh, teaching in, in, in WA, which is uh, brilliant. He's a very influential character on the local scene. Oh, he's done an amazing thing for Western Australia with the ECU days. They produced, I don't know, he probably spat out about 50 or 60 award-winning brewers that have gone on to great things in the industry and a lot of those guys are really at the top of the game in, in beer in Australia and around the world. Mm. So you finished your degree? I never did a full degree. I just did a, <laughs> as much as I could, I guess, um, <laughs> while still maintaining full-time work. Yep. Um, over the years, I've picked up a lot of knowledge. I've, I've completed the IBD course and never sat the exam. <laughs> it was, uh, just didn't happen <laughs> but um i've sort of been pumping out kids on the side as well so <laughs> and a, a lot of beer and, and it's one of those things that doing the course is often the thing not necessarily sitting the exam the sitting exam proves you understood what you learned in sitting look, the I course mean, <laughs> yeah look i mean it probably would have been better for my professional development if i actually sat the exam <laughs> but <laughs> i didn't but um look i I like to think that my knowledge of the beer industry and the and craft brewing and, and small craft brewing is probably right up there with anyone in the game in Australia. So 
Yeah. I'm happy with where I'm at and where I've learnt and everything. I don't necessarily have a shiny bit of paper on my wall to, to tell people about it. But That's it. Yeah, I have this argument all the time, you know, full respect to anyone that's got Cicerone qualifications or, you know, brewing qualifications or uh, anything like that. But there are some amazing people that would have been amazing uh, beer educators without the qualification and there are some people who uh, have the qualification that, I don't know that they can teach too many people too many things. And I think that's like any qualification anyway. Yeah, look, I've trained a lot of people in the beer industry over the years and um, and I still maintain that I think people can walk away from me with a pretty sound knowledge of what they need. I always tell them that the science behind everything they do is super important. And to, I, I always push people to the IBD. I think it's um, I think it's the best way of getting a good solid knowledge and it, if you can complete it, like I didn't, um, it shows a real aptitude and a love for the beer industry. As well. <laughs> did Did you have a like? Did you have a scholastic background at school? Like, were, were you a, were you an academic uh, student? I wasn't the best student. Um, I was I was all right. I went to I, I left in year ten. Went to an agricultural college. I was I'm a farm boy with a farming background, and that was where I seen my future, I guess. Um, and I went from there. I went on to university and started a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture. And um, being from the southwest of Western Australia, it was all targeted at wheat and sheep farmers and that was where the money and the market is for for agriculture and it wasn't my game. That was uh, definitely not where I was at. So, yeah, I went back and spent time in the wine industry instead. Yeah, okay. How come you didn't stay in the wine industry? Um, I was in the wine industry for about six, seven years. And, okay. Um, it's not the best paid industry to start with, I guess. Um, oh, God, what does that say about the wine industry if, you, uh, if, if, if you're now working in the brewing industry? Yeah, well, I still don't get paid that much. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the wine industry taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about, in Margaret River specifically, it taught me about um, quality over quantity is, is a big part of what you have to do with the beverage industry. Yeah. So I did take a lot from it in those days. You were at Bootleg for twelve years, um, which is a, is a long period of time when the industry is 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 flourishing. Um, what led you to leave there? Oh, there was a various number of reasons, I guess. Um, Bootleg, the owners were, uh, I guess, was he was in his seventies. He wasn't really keeping up with the the demands of the craft beer industry as it was in its growth at that time in the you know, the mid 2000s, 2010 to 15, he just didn't, just didn't put enough money back into the business, I guess. It was his retirement fund. He was an old fella and, um, and, and the business was starting to show. It was starting to fray a bit at the edges, I guess. Yeah. And, um, and I felt a big part of what they'd done and where they could go in the future. And I had all my ideas about what could happen and what we could do to grow and, and successfully build. The business to what it could have become and well um <laughs> just to touch on it lightly i guess uh, that didn't happen <laughs> i think we the money wasn't there yeah. and okay. um and it was time to move on i guess I'd, I'd sort of work my way up there to managing the business and and working with the owners wasn't um always ideal i guess and they were really great people and they gave me a lot of good things to take away from the place and i learned a lot from them and and what could be done and what couldn't, but their their heart wasn't in growing the business to a big a big company, and the industry was overtaking them, I guess. Okay, so it was time for me to move on to keep growing and to to learn something new and do something different. That must be frustrating as a brewer when you to see you know how experimental the whole industry is across, but then even how different it is. It became in the core of the craft beer industry over a period of, you know, 10, 12 years. Um, as a brewer, if you're not being allowed to play in some of those spaces, it must have been frustrating. Yeah, look, there was definitely a bit of frustration amongst um, the staff there and, and myself included about just that we had a brand that was pretty highly thought of for a long time and we just didn't grow with the industry and we, we let it slip, I guess, and we didn't move on quick enough and I think uh, they were grooming me up they thought they were grooming me up to buy the business and to and to kick it on from there and I, I probably didn't have the funds behind me to 
to grow it to the level it would have needed to and and neither did they in the end so you know I parted ways and and moved on and and went to a company that was really kicking a lot of goals and and growing rapidly so it was good for all of us because I had all the industry knowledge to to help them take the next step. So tell us about because you, you, it was the brew house at Margaret River. Yeah, so I went to the brew house at Margaret River. They were looking at entering the packaged beer game at the time, so they had a, a super successful brew pub system. They're turning over, you know, seven eight hundred meals a day most days of the week. Um, turning over a couple of thousand litres of beer just through their tap room every week. So, they, okay. um, yeah, they wanted to take the next step and that's where I sort of come in to help them grow grow to that next step. I'm not terribly familiar with the Brewhouse. Tell us a little bit about their products and, and what they were doing. They had a great range of products. They had everything. Like they, they When I started, they started to really expand their range a little bit, but they um, not on my back. Their head brewer, Ryan Ashworth, is an amazing brewer. Um, he makes great products and I was just there to help. I guess it was a bit of a, I always saw it as a bit of an interim job for me. Yep. Just to, to do something new and exciting and a bit of fun and to help some people that I really, really liked and appreciated. Um, and yeah, we got, they made everything from a, a few different English beers. They had brown ales and a mid strength English ale. And then their, their most famous beer, I guess, was a, another dark beer, a barrel aged imperial stout. Um, that was loosely based on on the eight wide iced out originally, I think. Um, but it was an amazing beer. It won champion beer at the WA Beer Awards on numerous occasions. Um, a lot of took a lot of gold medals. I think we entered the AIBA this year for the first time and took away nine medals. I think just before I left. Um, their beers are exceptional. They're exceptional people, and they're really good business people as well. So it was a really good company to work for in there. Pretty exciting time for them as well. But you moved on. Ah, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I moved on. That wasn't because of them or anything that was happening there. It was a uh, a bit of a family decision for me. Okay, so because uh, now you're at uh, Wicked Elf, so you've crossed the country. Um, what 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 dragged you? Uh, you know, on, on on the big drive. Look, I um, I didn't drive in the end. It was a, <laughs> it's a bit tricky with the border closures and everything going on, but um. There was a bit going on at home. We, my wife came over from Northern Ireland about eight or nine years ago. I, I'm a born and bred Margaret River boy. I think I lived on the farm. I built a house on the farm. I lived 200 metres from my dad. And my mum was just around the corner. She lived in our granny flat for most of the time my wife lived there. And uh, I think it was just time for a bit of a change, a bit of a change of scenery. And uh, I think, look, I... To be honest, I'd probably spent the time since my kids have been born, six or seven years, I stepped away from being part of the brewing industry a, a little bit, other than making beer and talking to people and helping in uh, businesses. But I, uh, I stepped away from the active side of the beer industry and I wanted to test myself and challenge myself. And, and um, I thought the East Coast would be a, a good thing, a bit of warmer weather. Oh, and Port Macquarie is a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, so I reached, I reached out to um, Nick at Brewstaff, actually, who I think you had on a couple of we months did. ago. Yeah. Well, was that before yeah, or so, after we had him on? Uh, well before, actually. Oh, so okay. it was about yeah, I thought, I thought um, I was get a February, check. March. <laughs> <laughs> no, about February, March. I was already here when he went on. Um, yep. But, um, and I said, you know, I, I know a few people up in Noosa in the brewing game at Land and Sea, their Margaret River. Yep. people and um, I thought Noosa would be the furthest north I'd go having an Irish wife <laughs> um, <laughs> might get a bit challenging that far and I said I'll go as far south as Port Macquarie um, I'd been here once before and, and popped into Little Brewing Co back then which was closed when I come past but um, <laughs> I, I really liked the town and I thought it was uh, you know and I don't like big cities so that was sort of the further south I'd come and and this is the opportunity that presented itself because little brewing is well little brewing or wicked elf as it is now um is a is a well they were a pioneering brewery in in so many ways for the for the then boutique later craft brewing industry um 
And I, I appreciate that you're not an owner. We were hoping to get that we might be able to get the, the, the current owner on to talk a little bit about the business side of things. Um, but I believe you can give us a little bit of a background to the current ownership. Yeah, so Steve, uh, Steve took over in 2017. So Warwick and Kylie Little had the business from 2006. Um, and there was a few different shareholder floats in the, in the interim. And Steve bought in amongst the second one, I think. I was just looking at that because, uh, again, I've known, uh, I, I think I would have known Warwick and Kylie as long as I've been writing seriously about the industry um, because, you know, the little brewing company in the early days, incredible beers. Um, they, they always made an amazing range of beers in the early days of craft. The, the Pilsner, the, the the white beer, the American Pale Ale, um, I think of uh, I think they had a great IPA and Warwick was an incredible brewer. They were very interesting people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, I've never met them, um, and there's a little bit of that around Port Macquarie. They they're not the um, they they didn't make a lot of business friends around Port Macquarie, and I'm sure they have a lot of fond memories and a lot of close friends in the region. But business wise, they didn't make a lot of close friends in the Port Macquarie region. Which was, it was always interesting. And I, I'd found, I mean, there's a lot about how old Brews News is, but it goes back to August 23rd, 2012, a media release um, where it was one of the first businesses that I remember at the time before crowd equity, before, you know, um, crowdfunding or anything like that. It was one of the first breweries that actually advertised seeking uh, business investment. Um, and, and I remember at the time, thinking it sounds a little bit worrying, you know. <laughs> yeah, like some of the conversations I'd had, I'm just, I, I can't quite remember the timing of everything, but it was a it was a brewery made great beer. But that would be in market, that would be out of market, that would be in market, that would be out of market. And you just never heard anyone local. Like they, they didn't have a strong local presence, for example. Yeah, so they, they're, they're pretty well their business plan They and they did really well with it. Um, from the early days, they were nationwide with um, the Woolworths and Dan Murphy's mm. stores around Australia. Um, and I remember drinking their beers in Western Australia at various, even local craft bottle shops. You'd be able to get their beers. But it, it'd be, I can imagine being in Port Macquarie, it would be quite a challenging business environment to be running a national business from this area as well. But um yeah, that's what they went down. And then, so the shareholder float, Steve was telling me, was designed, they wanted to double capacity. They were running 24 hours a day with a, it's a 15 heck brew kit, which makes exceptional beers. They do make, the beers here are, when I got here, are still an exceptional quality beer. Um, and they, they were running that 24 hours a day with quite a large capacity, I'd imagine. I haven't looked at the brewing books from, the little brewing company days, but I'd imagine if they were running it that hard, they would have been doing half a million litres off a 15-hat kit, which would have been a lot of work. Mm. And they must have had a pretty good market going. Just to step back, so Steve Chung um, is he and Lou Perry, um, who's a local restaurateur. Um, Lou Perry is a local restaurateur and Steve yep. uh, Chung, who has, who's a local doctor and has a winery, winery interests in and around the Port Macquarie yep. uh, area. Yeah, so Lou and Steve bought it in early 2017. I think Lou talked Steve into buying into the business back then um, and it was um, Steve intended to be a, a silent partner in the business and, and just he loved the beer, he liked the business and he liked uh, he liked what it was doing and where it could head. And, um, yeah, so they took it over and uh, and... I guess they, they've faced a lot of challenges in business and everything since then over Port Macquarie's been through a lot and um, and all of Lou's businesses have been through a lot of uh, heartbreak, I think, for him and they've moved on and, yeah. Obviously, hospitality with uh, COVID, um, you know, for, for, for the last 18 months, almost two years. Um, from memory, there was a flood down Yeah, so there was a flood last year in January, February, I think. Uh, February. It was a week after I took the job at Wicked Health okay. that Port Macquarie was flooded. <laughs> and I remember being a little bit worried, but we're, we're pretty good where we are. 
And and the town, to be honest, has recovered like it never happened almost. Obviously, okay. there's some people and businesses that are severely affected, but the town itself bounced back really fast. But January and summers would be a peak period uh, of trade in hospitality. Yeah, so by- they, over the last two years, they've had um, probably one of the worst droughts to hit Australia, affected this whole region really badly. It's quite a big agricultural region and the droughts were crippling for local industry and farmers. And then they had fires. <laughs> and the fires ripped through pretty hard last year, around around this time, well, a bit later last year, I think, the fires ripped through. COVID came <laughs> and uh, and then floods and then some more COVID on the back of that. So look, it's been a pretty challenging time for the town. But I think, um, you know, sometimes disaster breeds resilience. And, and the strongest sort of grow from these sort of things. And I think it can make a town and a, and a business stronger in the long run. So given the business, again, without putting it too bluntly, the, 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 the business that Steve and Lou bought that had failed had a national presence, um, they had a national footprint, but not a strong local market. Um, over the last two years, we've seen such a big focus on local and people supporting local. How is how is Wicked Elf gone during that time? Given that you know when they bought it in twenty seventeen, it it didn't have strong local equity. Look, um, look, just talking to the people here, they they were still in Woolworths and and all of that at the time. Um, through a bit of different things that happened over the years, they they lost their Woolworths contract, and I guess the local market became something that was more important to the business and the people here. And even with the new ownership, the local market became the focus of the business anyway. It went away from being a national brand to a, a Port Macquarie brand and a, a Mid-North Coast brand. And um, there's definitely been a, a bunch of challenges with getting the people on board. The businesses have been really good and have supported it, but getting the customers on board has been a little more challenging in selling the story and and um, as a new business with the same name, I guess, is um, that? been a bit of a challenge. Um, I think because they went national, I think a lot of people showed a lot of pride in, in Wicked Elf being a national brand from Port Macquarie and I think not being able to get their beers locally, a lot of people had a, a different feeling about the business than what they could have. Um, it wasn't. It just didn't sell itself in the, the best possible way for the locals and if the... If the brand had continued to grow in a national sense, that wouldn't have been an issue, I guess. And, and I guess that was the plan and that was the, they had a way forward and they had their own, um, pathways, but that didn't eventuate. And then there wasn't anything to fall back on, I guess, which has made it a bit tricky for the business. But we're, um, we're definitely moving in the right direction and getting things up and going. And did having two local identities help? resurrect the brand and you know sort of get the word locally because I, I mean i guess local media the, the local papers are a cornerstone of the local community and having them behind you and having them support the local identities who now own the business was did that help energize the brand uh, in 2017 after the sale yeah look um steve and lou have done a really good job in engaging the local community um lou's not part of the business anymore but um, over COVID, it was just too tough for him with his restaurant businesses to, to continue on. But um, it, it was a tough push, I guess. It was almost like a startup business in 2017 and trying to get that on track and, and operating effectively. There was a lot of challenges, I guess, for like there is for any startup. But um, essentially, it didn't have that um, the sex appeal of a startup business, mm. I guess, in the local community because it had been here for so long. So they... Um, it was a bit more of a struggle than it would be for others, but they've continued on. And, and look, we, we're doing really well. I'm pretty happy with how it's turning out now. And I think um, just the engagement has, has picked up a lot in the last six months since I've been here, which is interesting. We're West, it took a West Australian to really get the local <laughs> community on board. <laughs> so how many breweries are there in the, uh, in the region now? There's, um, there's three operating breweries in Port Macquarie. There's another one that... Um, think they do some contract brewing. I'm not 100% okay. sure. I haven't met the guy yet. Um, just out of town, quite a small one. Yep. But yeah, there's more brewing company and Black Duck that are both more brewing and maybe four years old and 
Black Duck has been here for quite some time. Yep. I couldn't tell you exactly how old. Is there, you know, strong community support for brewing generally and you guys have carved out a niche in, in, in that space? Look, I've, I was a little bit taken aback, to tell you the truth, with the Mid-North Coast when I got here. It's sort of, it's a bit of a food region. It's an mm. agricultural region. It has a lot of contrast to the Margaret River area. And I guess I lived in a bit of a, a bubble in Margaret River in some ways and Western Australia in general. But um, it is a little bit... It's not backwards, that's not the correct word at all, but it's it's a little bit um, like safe, safer in their food choices and their and their drinks choices than what I'm used to in Western Australia. So it's not, craft beer hasn't had the big kick, I think, of some other regions in Australia, but I think um, even in the few months I've been here, I've seen a, a big change. It's the COVID has brought on the local the local passion, I guess, for a lot of people, and the and they want to be a more localized food and mm. food and beverage sort of lifestyle for people, and there's a lot of that moving up here too. So it, it, it's interesting because I was down. I did some tastings as part of the tastings on Hastings Festival. I think it was called uh, probably the last time in 2017, 2018, and uh, you know there was obviously support for it, but then. Yeah, I don't recall there being. Yeah, there were a couple of great little restaurants, but yeah, for for an area that was that had a lot of tourism influx, a lot of food producers in the area, it, it yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that sort of assessment. It took me by surprise a little bit coming here, having passed through the region and seen what it's like and um, the natural beauty. I guess that I would have thought that the people it would have attracted more people that were into um, local food and drink and. From Sydney, and I think um, the influx of people over this second run of COVID, well, not the second run of COVID, but over COVID, as uh, the people moving up from the cities has um, has created a bit of a different feel around town. Um, not that I can say I was here in the last <laughs> ten years before preceding that, but um, there's definitely a lot of different people coming to town. More my age group. Um, previously, I think town was. A, a retirement village sort of feel about it with the town itself and because it's an amazing place to retire and I can see why that would happen. Um, but, yeah, so there's been a bit of a change in the demographic of town and you can see it in the restaurants and the food offerings that are being um, that are popping up through town even since I've been here. Over COVID, we still had restaurants opening in town and, um, and the breweries are getting stronger and stronger. You'd see more beer uh, across the road uh, from here are uh, uh, doing great things in the, for the craft beer game in the region. And um, to take one of your sayings, I think uh, a rising tide lifts all all boats. I guess, and I'm sure it does. But as we sort of, as I like to say, you know, where's the tide coming from? Is the question. <laughs> yeah, and look, the tide's coming in here, which is um, and and it's not bought by. By all the different breweries, I think it's just that's the nature of the world is moving in that direction, and um, that then people are starting to move into this town. And I think um, the younger people are growing up, and there's a bit more money around, and and that's something that they look for as well—a bit of local pride. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the region is growing into a bit more of a tourism-led region, so it will make a big change. So tell us about the the, the, the beers. You've got beer in package and uh, you, you're getting it on tap around the place? Yeah, so since I got here, um, we were using East Coast Canning when I first arrived, um, which was a bit of a challenge from a small brewery. I was going to ask whether you're still bottling or whether you're uh, yeah, the, the distinctive Wicked Elf bottles, but you've gone into cans clearly. The market isn't there for bottles, I guess. <laughs> uh, as much as you'd love to be in bottles, I think they're a great vessel for beer and, and they're nice to drink out of and a lot of different things, but... The market is all about cans. The mm. sex appeal of a beer is all about cans. That your branding and your 360 marketing is, um, you have so much more opportunity and bottle shops love them for more shelf space. So if I don't think a craft brewery is ever going to go into bottles again, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you're getting beer on tap? Yeah, look, we've got, um, we've got a few different tap points. We've picked up a few restaurants. The bars are still quite reluctant to take on craft beer in the region. They're um, okay. predominantly uh, lion, lion beers here. 
um, from what I've seen. There's a lot of a lot of lion products. Um, there's not much craft on tap. Even more beer have a great local presence, and their their owner is a, a local born and bred guy with who's a pub was a publican before he started, and and they're struggling for tap presence. But restaurant, all the restaurants and stuff have put up having tap beers, and we're all sort of starting to filter through those more than the bars, I guess. Okay, well, I guess demand will start to drive if people are going to restaurants and getting a, a good selection of beers, they'll start asking for that in pubs. So is it – there aren't craft beer drinkers with craft beer tending to be the more flavoursome beers um, in Port Macquarie, or is it the tap contracts are keeping in, – in hotels are keeping the craft breweries off tap? Um, you know, for example, if you had a, a great local lager, um, do you would, is there the scope for it to go on in a pub or they just can't put you on because of tap contracts? I, I can't say I've been here long enough and okay. the last COVID outbreak to have really got a good foothold on exactly why craft yep. beer hasn't been into the pubs here. It surprises me a little bit. Um, in Western Australia, I think five years ago, it would have been hard to walk into a, you know, a normal pub, a worker's pub and see a craft beer on tap. But now you walk in there and it, you're probably looking at twenty to thirty percent of beers on tap in a in a workers bar is probably going to be craft. Mm-hmm. You still got sixty or seventy percent line, but that's enough. When you think that's every pub in Western Australia, that's enough for craft beer to really get a foothold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'll happen here. You can see the tendency of what people are eating and drinking. I think it's going to move that way pretty quick. So tell us about the beers, because um, as I said, the classic. Uh Wicked Elf range was the, the, the Pilsen or the white beer or the, the wit beer, the uh, pale ale, and I know there was a fourth one. I'm trying to think of uh, what that was, maybe an IPA. They moved on from the Belgian-inspired beers, I guess. I think it was just trying to sell a new direction of the company um, and they weren't selling enough anymore, I mm. guess, um, in bottles. Being in bottles, we probably, you know, a pretty old-world sort of influenced design. Um, which worked great when they first started, but it probably wasn't hitting the market where it needed to be. So they moved on from the Belgian beers. So the, the key beers here when I came along was the, the Kolsch and the Pilsner were probably, um, as good a, a draft lager style beers as you're going to get anywhere mm. in the country. Um, they're, they're pretty amazing products. They're done properly. You get the profit, be happy. There's seven week. <laughs> and a six-week colch on tap. So, um, yeah, and then um, they they had a pretty nice IPA, a proper West Coast-style IPA, so not a hazy. And then they did have a hazy as well, and, a, and they were sort of starting to lean towards the hoppier styles with all their other beers. I, I, I like how you're saying they when it's you're, – you're, you're the man making Well, back then was they, and now it's me, I guess, if, uh We've moved forward a little bit more since I got here, and um, I'm I'm pretty passionate about um, quality of product, I guess, um, no matter what I'm making. So the the Kolsch and the Pilsner will never change. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna compromise and make a a, a three week Pilsner just to keep people happy. If we run out, we run out, I guess. Um, but hopefully, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and we've just like released a new range. To add a bit more fun and vibrancy, I guess, to what we've been doing, that's the mischief range, and that's going to be a bit more of an experimental beers, I guess, starting with some sours and some and some hazy beers, and it'll be stuff, I guess, that is a little bit left the centre of the core range and the brand identity. That's an interesting thing because you know we've talked a lot about the you know, history of the brand and some of the challenges that it faced in a business sense, but. At the same time, it had partly because of when it was was founded, it had a very, very strong brand because it was an early to, to market. But then the beers were so distinctive. There was there was the Belgian range, um, but then there was just very, very strong what were core craft beers in those days. How how much market pressure has there been on for you to come out with um, this mischief range? That's a little, you know, the the the, the, the sours, the hazies, the beers that weren't even thought of really when uh, the, the the brand started. Um, to be to be fair, it's um, I think the branding and the business. It was a really bold, strong, dependable mm. brand, and and the range of beers reflected that bold, strong, and dependable 
nature of the business. Um, and I, I think the craft beer industry is moving towards whimsical and fun, I guess, in a lot of ways. And um, you don't want to get lost in the crowd. You want to and and the reason for the mischief range was we wanted to remain a bold, strong, and dependable range of core beers, but we wanted to enter that whimsical and fun range. And I love making those beers. They're fun. They're a bit different. You can have a, a bit of a play with technique and and you can learn on the go, I guess, with those sort of beers. And, um, and they help you to move forward as a business in some ways, like they open up some different business opportunities, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I oh, know. And, and, you know, that's the thing. Like, it, it, this is one of those great conversations where you get a real payoff at the end as well because uh, that's <laughs> the inherent challenge of being in the business of beer, you know, the, the brand – for a brand that was always known for having high quality beer, but the business didn't flourish. And that's one of the things that fascinates me as, as an observer is going, well, craft beer was all about the beer, but clearly it's not because <laughs> it was a business that had awesome beer, but, you know, and, and it didn't seem to have ridiculous expenses, you know, or you know, things like that. It was, but, and now taking it on, you know, I, I love bold, strong, and dependable. What a way to describe a core range, and uh, I would one hundred percent agree with that. But you also feel the need for the little bit of whimsy. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I mean, the craft beer. I'm I'm an old boy of craft, I guess. I'm nearly forty now. That's, uh, I guess, the the new right new people in the brewing industry. Most people you meet, they're a little bit younger than me. They're they're into their hazies, they're into their sours, they want flavour, they want different. And to be honest, I can't remember the last time I drank more than a four-pack of somebody else's beer uh, in the last few years. I don't think it's happened, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I don't think, you know, even even the guys across the road, they have seven or eight beers and I don't drink the same one twice if I go and grab some of their beers oh, for a taste. Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just... Uh, even my own beers, I think I'd really drink more than a four-pack of one before I moved on to something different. Um, can you build a business and, on yeah. that? That's, and, and to me, that's the challenge. You know, that's the market, and I 100% agree. But how do you build a business? It's a pretty tough one. I don't think you can. I think you need that bold, strong, and dependable beers. And I think, um, like, I, I don't drink a lot at home. I like to taste beers, and I like to drink beers, but I, I'm not a drinker as such anymore i was when i first started in the beer industry i'm not anymore i'm a family man um and so like i don't buy a carton of beer anymore and a lot of people don't and there's a big market for that out there and it's um but i also know a lot of people that are drinkers and they'll buy it if you bring out you know if you have a bold and strong and dependable core range and you have some whimsical fun beers they'll buy a four pack of something fun and they might take a carton of the colch or the pills in the home with them um, to accompany their, their bit of fun to start the night, I guess. And I think that's where you can sort of start to build a bit of brand loyalty. And I look at it as a business point of view. I look at our mischief range as two more core range beers. They're just ever changing. Mm. <laughs> so there'll always be a sour and there'll always be something hoppy, I think, running through those two core range products. Now, I know you've sent me uh, a couple of beers to try. I'm really looking forward. I can honestly say that I'm really looking forward to, <laughs> to trying them and seeing uh, what, what, how the beers are coming along. But what's what's the plan for the brand? Um, obviously, growing local presence. Are you going to try and expand that footprint or are you content being a small regional player that is building a, a deeper local brand? Like I think um, we're, we're looking at, at, at a two-tiered, I guess, growth of the business where at the moment, we're looking at expanding our sales from roughly Newcastle to Coffs Harbour is our rough range of where we're looking at trying to get involved in those local markets, um, get to know our customers, get to know what they want, what where they're going and, and what's moving forward. And I think um, once we can nail that region where, where we'll be looked to move towards the other capital cities, I think... Um, Naturally, with my background, we're going to probably get a little bit of beer over to Perth before the end of the year, possibly. Not a lot. We'll just uh, have a little tickle in that market. There's definitely a lot of my friends that are keen to have a taste. So 
um, <laughs> may as well give them a go. At it. Is that a business strategy or is it a, again, excuse the, the, the bluntness of it, or is that a vanity thing where it, it's nice <laughs> to have your beer in, in, in that market and, and you're doing it so they can try the beers, but it's not really something. It's not going to be something that makes a lot of money for the business. If we can break even on that, I think um, being, having been a national brand in the past, um, there's a lot of good feeling towards the business in a lot of places. And like yourself, you remember the beers as, as a really strong, really high-quality craft beers, and we still have the same brew kit that is capable of making pretty well anything. It's, pretty, it's a pretty amazing kit um, in a lot of ways. It's different, but it, it's quite unique, but it, it has everything in it to make pretty well any style of beer that's ever been made before, which is quite cool. It's pretty good for a brewer. You can have a lot of fun with it. So... Um, yeah, so I think WA, it'll be a bit more, a bit of a vanity project, but I think um, it's growing brand awareness again, um, getting some confidence in the brand again from people that haven't seen it for a long time. A lot of people probably think when it went um, insolvent in 2016 that it never came back. So I think just treading the waters lightly and getting a bit more brand awareness is um, is a good thing for the business. It's probably not going to make it money for a little while, but it'll... It'll help it just to grow. It'll give it a little push for when we're ready to hit hit that bigger market again to to have somewhere to go. But as I said, I'm really looking forward to trying the beers, even more so uh, getting down there to uh, to have a beer in the uh, in, in the tap room uh, with you once borders open. So, uh, mate, thank you very much for for, for the chat, and uh, also thank you for being a listener. I know that you uh, you, you do listen to us and uh, you give us some feedback from time to time. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries, Matt. Look, it's um, it's always great listening to Bruce News. I think it's it's the only place you can get a real industry look at what's happening in the brewing industry. There's not many people who report on the on the real news. There's a lot of people reporting on the beers and the and the fanboy sort of side of it. And you guys take a different look at it, and it, and it's great for the beer industry and it's good for brewers, I think, to remain in contact. Mate, I appreciate that. That's very nice to say. But at the same time, I'm pretty confident that the current owners or the, the, the current owner and the former owner weren't thinking that when <laughs> I was uh, looking closely at the business when they bought it uh, in 2017. So uh, hopefully that's all water under a bridge. <laughs> These things happen. I think uh, <laughs> it's important to report on the facts. And they might not have been pretty at the time. So. Yeah, and that's... I might put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get All one. Right. That'll be quite funny. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to send you one of our, uh, our, our mugs or a T-shirt, uh, whichever you prefer. So, uh, mate, thank you very much and uh, all, all the very best. Looking forward to trying the beer. No worries, Matt. Thank you. And that was Ryan nielsen Lynn. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryo Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. We thank Cryomalt for sponsoring this episode of Beer as a Conversation. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. To join our Facebook group, just search for Radio Brews News and use the password Soapbox. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show. Even a few dollars a month really helps us to keep this show going. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcasting service. There is a link for that in the show notes. Or you can email us your thoughts and suggestions at producer at brewsnews.com.au. Thank you for listening.